That was a, does anybody know who that song was? Anybody? I'm old. I almost get my Spotify app out, but then I realize I don't even have Spotify on my phone because <laughs> I don't have cool apps like everybody else. Well, that was a great song, wasn't it? David, do you know what song that was? No? All right. That's Pastor Jamie, our campus pastor. He's more hip than all of us, apparently. So, all right, all right. That was good. That was good. Happy anniversary, huh? I know, it's so good. We came, so just, just, a, just a quick story. When we were still at the, or the, the church where I had been at for 17 years before coming here uh, in Mechanicsville, we left for vacation one summer and stopped at this little church called the City Life Church that was meeting in Regal Cinema. It was about 100 people in there. And uh, my brother and sister-in-law, were the, the, who were the founding pastors here, uh, Michael and Heather Giroux, were there. And, you know, they're getting there at like 6 in the morning and setting up, right? And the church that we were at then had been there for 25 years. Their money grew on trees there. There was, right, to, to over 20 staff, the multi-million dollar budget. And, and, uh, and, and so we left that service that morning for vacation, I kid you not, and Vanessa and I looked at each other and said, I am so glad we don't have to do that, <laughs> right? Because that is a lot of work. So about a year later, we were there doing it. Come on. And so it's funny how God speaks to us, but I can just tell you, uh, we're so glad we came. That was We came in October of 2007. It's been the most remarkable journey. And as Vanessa talked about and, uh, when she was doing her prayer, that uh, we believe our best years are still ahead of us. And so come on, if, you're, if you've been here for all 11, like some of you have, uh, or whether you're here for the first time tonight, uh, we're excited about what God is doing here at City Life. So hey, I just have a, cu- a couple of quick things. One is I just, I'm going to call this a public service announcement, and I'm going to do these for the next several weeks at the beginning of our, of our sermon, is that we have a top-notch nursery here at the City Life Church. Everybody that works in there, they're all stars. And uh, I, the biggest scrutiny that anybody goes through to serve in ministry here at City Life, it's through our nursery. Background checks, the two-person rule, there's never a situation where your, your child's going to be one-on-one with another individual. And so we just want to encourage you to take advantage of the nursery. Our kids are, are teenagers now, but I remember when they were small. It's hard. And one of the philosophies that we had as parents is that we're going to set our kids up for success. So we never want to ask them to be in a setting where they can't succeed. And the preaching is really good in here, I'm just saying. And so your kids are going to want to talk to you about what's happening while it's happening, which sometimes can be a distraction to people around you. And so we just want to encourage you, take advantage of the nursery. And if you're not comfortable doing that, we understand. So the cafe Every Saturday night, this service is on the big screen in there. There's a camera up there, so it's video fed into there, and so you're able to be in there with your child if you need to. So that area outside behind this, what we call the vestibule, and these hallways back here, those are affectionately known as echo chambers, right? And so those are not the spaces to go. And so we would just ask you to help us with that. So we're excited at the end of the service tonight to make that announcement about Haiti, and uh, it's going to be good. Good, going to be good, building that school. So we are in a new series, uh, 10 Towns to 7 Cities. We launched this uh, last weekend, and so I'm excited about what God is speaking to us as a church, about being the stranger that's willing to draw near to someone with the gospel. Uh, we feel like this is going to be a huge year for us individually and then corporately as a church to reach people with the message of Christ. So just to kind of get us moving in the right direction, let me ask you this. How many people here made New Year's resolutions? Anybody? 
Maybe you don't like to call it that, right? But you made some, you made some type of commitment to yourself for change. Does that help you a little bit? Yeah, I see, see more hands are coming up. I don't do any real resolutions. But I did decide I wanted to make some changes. Anybody else? Come on. I don't see very many hands up. No? All right, now keep your hand up. Keep your hand. Those of you who made some commitments, like for me, I was going to get back in the gym, right? That was when I was coming into the new year. So, how many of you have have fallen short of your commitment for the new year already? Put your hand up. Only the only hand should be up for people that are staying strong, right? Nice. Sorry, did I do that backwards? All right. If you've if you've if put your hand down if you've fallen short on New Year's resolution, keep it up if you're if you're staying strong. Okay. Well, a lot more hands did go down. I should have just confused people and done it the other way. We would have gotten a better result, right? It's hard, isn't it? Right? It's hard when you say, I'm going to make some changes. It's, as soon as you step into that place of commitment, it's like the whole world shows up against you to keep you from making those kinds of changes. And so what I want to encourage you to do as part of this series is that you're going to make a commitment that you're going to share the message of Jesus Christ with people this year like never before. And situations and circumstances where you've typically you would shrink back, that this year you're going to press in. People that you've been hesitant to talk to, but God's been speaking to your heart, and you know God's picked you to talk with them, that this is not going to be the year of procrastination. This is going to be the year where you say, God, come on, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but help me find the words. You have the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life if you made a vow of devotion to him, and God wants to use you to bring that message to other people, and that's what this series is all about. It's a teaching out of Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Now, I'm not going to read that for sake of time tonight. We read the entire text last Saturday night. I'm going to read some of the verses that we're going to cover tonight. I'll read those. But it's also found in Luke chapter 8, in Matthew chapter 8. And so, as you know, every week we put these notes online as a PDF. Uh, so if you are a note taker and we're moving along quicker than you would prefer, you can download this week, download these notes this week, and all those uh, verses will be in there. So last week I talked a little about, about what one of the things that intrigues me about this story. I've been praying over the series for about a year now. I have these little post-it notes on my, at my desk for, for a, maybe a, an idea for a series that God speaks to me or for a sermon. I write it down and stick it up there, and when I th- see it, I, I think about it, I, I pray about it, and so this idea of 10 towns to 7 cities has been on this post-it note on my desk for about a year, and so I was excited when I was praying about how to start this new year that God said, hey, I want you to do that one, as, and as I began to study this story, I began to ask some questions. Why does Matthew say there were two demoniacs, and, and Mark only, and Luke only say that there were, there were one? We talked about that last week, and so you can get that on the podcast. Second one was, you know, why does Jesus seemingly negotiate with the demons, right? It seems like he enters into some type of transaction with them. Why does he do that? We're going to do that in week three. How could all of these people from that region be so resolute in their reaction after seeing such a demonstration in power? We're going to cover that one tonight. And then what is the connection between the storm that preceded the deliverance of the demoniac? Is there a connection between the storm and the healing? We're going to cover that in week three as well. This story is so powerful for many reasons, as we will see throughout this series. But one of the most impactful insights is that this is the first time Jesus took his message outside of the Jewish world familiar to him. 
One of our 12 pathways, or what you might refer to as spiritual disciplines, we like to call them pathways because they take you somewhere. As Pastor David was talking about, it's the journey of discipleship. We're going to be talking about that tonight. This series is going to challenge us to ask ourselves, am I willing to be the stranger who draws near with the gospel? Just this week, I was praying in here, and I was in here Friday afternoon, and I felt like one of the things that God challenged me was with this question, was that, does my confession, is it followed by commitment, and is my declaration followed by devotion? For many of you like me who have made a confession of faith in Jesus Christ, that you've made a declaration of faith in Christ, that, that maybe this year you're going to ask yourself some hard questions. Is, is my confession followed by commitment, and is my declaration followed by devotion? What are the areas of my life that I need to start walking out as a result of the confession and the declaration that I've made? And I think one of them for all of us that God is going to press us with is this idea of reaching other people with the message of the gospel. So, so Father, as we dig into this message tonight that, that I believe you've given to us, this this text that's in your sacred word, Father, as we get into it, as we pray so often, Father, we want it to get into us. We don't want to just be entertained by an uh, interesting and curious story that we find in Scripture, but we believe that your word is a living word. We believe that it has the power to transform. We believe, God, it has the power to set free. We believe, oh God, that it has the power to break patterns in our lives that maybe have held us bondage for a lifetime. Father, let your work, your word, do its work in us tonight. In Christ's name, come on, and everybody said together, amen. Somebody say, the need, the need, the need. Verses 3 through 5. This series is going to be a little bit unique, and we're just we're working our way verse by verse through this story. Verse 3 says this: the, This man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with the chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue, subdue him. Verse 5, day and night he wandered among the burial caves in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Now we covered these verses last week for a different purpose about why he lived there and what that was about. Again, you can get that through the podcast, but we're going to tackle these verses again tonight because there's layers of truth here as we find our way, work our way through the story. So let let me share this statement with you. When a person's need is beyond our available solutions... We resort to control and neglect compassion. Let me say that again. When a person's need is beyond our available solutions, we resort to control and neglect compassion. Now, let me just make a distinction here. Church discipline is a different topic, and that's a different sermon for a different time. But if we feel like somebody's at risk to themselves or other people, then we're going to come in and put boundaries in that person's life. That's not control. That's courageous leadership. What we're talking about now is people who are suffering in innocence. I believe one of the reasons that God included Mark 5, Matthew 8, and Luke 8 in the Bible is to challenge us to not be like the people of the 10 towns. When we encounter needs beyond our available solutions, we may not be guilty of chains and shackles, but our neglect is just as harmful. Listen to these statistics. If you want to get the sources of them, you can download the PDF. I'm just going to read them to you. Nearly 54 million Americans cope with special needs and the rising associated expenses. Nearly one-fifth, one-fifth 
Of all Americans, more than 54 million men, women, and children have a physical, sensory, or intellectual disability. More than 41 million Americans, or almost 15% of the population age of five and older, have some type of disability. These are staggering statistics, aren't they? Listen, there's more. Some 6.2% of children ages 5 to 15, or 2.8 million kids, have disabilities. The U.S. Census Bureau says about 20% of Americans between the ages of 16 and 64 suffer some form of physical, mental, or emotional impairment, and many of them are outliving their parents thanks to improved care and medical technology. But that creates a challenge unto itself because now there's no, there are no systems in place to care for them. Over 75% of special needs adults are without employment. Households containing at least one family member with a mental disability are also marked by the highest poverty rate, 32% within the U.S. There has been an over 600% increase in the diagnosis of autism in the last 20 years. Over 90% of families, listen to this, over 90% of families with special needs children ends in divorce. City life has been a place where families with special needs have been beyond our available solutions. And like the people of the 10 towns, my response has been control and lack of compassion. And that's going to change in 2017. We are going to draw near to some people with the gospel this year And one of our focuses are going to be strangers that live in this community who have special needs children that do not have a place to go to church, and we're going to make changes here to accommodate them. February 4th and 11th, at the end of our service, we're going to have an informational meeting for those of you who might be interested. Now, what we're going to start is not going to be our finish. We can't do everything overnight, but we know we've got to take steps to get there. You're tracking with me? So one of the steps that we feel like we can take is to create what we're going to call a buddy system, which means that we're going to have specially trained people that when a family shows up who has special needs kids, that a buddy will be assigned to that kid to be with them, whether they're in care, which is our nursery or workshop, which is kind of like our kids' church. The vast majority of kids with special needs can assimilate into a typical setting if they have someone there to help them. And so this is going to be our first step. Eventually, we want to have a full-fledged special needs ministry that is ministering to every need of the family, not just the kids, but the adults too, which could be playdates during the week. It could be unique marriage uh, counseling and situations to support marriages because 90% end in divorce. But we know we've got to start somewhere, and this is where we're going to start. And so if you're interested, come on, you can clap for that. If you're interested in being a part of that, the, the, for the next two Saturday nights, the next two Saturday nights, this is just here at the Newport News campus. The other campuses aren't prepared to take on that kind of responsibility, but that's okay because people with special needs, kids, they're going to travel for a church that can meet their need. And so this campus is going to become that campus for City Life. And so uh, for the next two weeks, after service, not a long meeting, but we just want to talk to you about where we go from here. If you do not serve in ministry at the City Life Church and you call us your home, you know who you are and I know who some of you are. And I'm going to be looking for you at that meeting. Or you might get a, Pastor Fred is here. All right. This is something else that God spoke to me on Friday. 
We, we judge others when they mistreat people. I know I do. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself. I judge others when I see people mistreated. But when I'm doing the mistreatment, you know what I do? I do the same thing you do. I justify. I judge others, and I justify my own actions. I judge others because of using shackles, but when I'm justifying myself, I call those shackles solutions, and so do you. And what we're saying as a church community is, th- is that we want to be so honest with each other that when we look into each other's lives and we see each other justifying behaviors that we shouldn't, I don't know about you, but I want people in my life that love me enough to come and say those things to me, right? And I trust that you do too. Workshops already moved from upstairs. Tyler and Jessica Ashworth, who lead the workshop, which again is our kids' church ministry, uh, just at a uh, a short notice, just uh, a couple of months ago, moved to the downstairs to give access to kids with special needs. We're excited. We love that they were able to do that. Uh, We're talking now, just one more quick thing, with uh, North Riverside Baptist Church, that uh, people that are in uh, wheelchairs, there's, there's minimal place for where they can sit in here, and we want to redesign these front wings here to make it accessible so they can have some options. People that are in a wheelchair, they have options to where they want to sit. They don't just have to be relegated to the back of the church, and so uh, that requires a a lot of uh, cooperation from North Riverside Baptist Church, Uh, but we've opened up that conversation, and uh, and we trust that they're going to be willing to work with us. We've gotten favorable results so far. Come on, the need. God, help us. God, help us. Help us. Not just with this particular need, but as we move forward into our future as a church family, as we're here celebrating our anniversary tonight, help us to be quicker with being willing to meet the need. Help us to be quicker, God, to, to, to in, 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 in seeing that we're justifying when we should be judging ourselves that our solution is really a shackle. Help us, God. Help us to not be the ten towns here in the seven cities. Come on, in Christ's name i just like to pray a lot. I'm not done preaching, so don't get excited. People are like, that's the shortest sermon I've ever heard. No, no, we're just, just getting going. Just getting going. All right, six through eight. Somebody say the legion, the legion. Six through eight, when Jesus was still some distance away, the man, and again, we know these are, there were two men. The, the, the men saw it, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. And with a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the Spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. It's interesting here, these demons that have taken possession of these men, they acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, and they acknowledge that he has authority over them. It's interesting, isn't it? They're not trying to pretend that they don't know who he is. They know who he is. They know that he is the son of the living God. And right here in the text, it says that they are willing to acknowledge that he has authority over them. In the New American Standard, the phrase that they use is, what business do we have with each other? They say, what business do we have with each other? I think that's too often the sentiment that we find ourselves feeling when Jesus begins to ask us to make changes that we don't like. Could it be that my heart or your heart or our hearts are saying the same thing to God in response to his challenge to us to be the stranger that draws near with the gospel? 
It might be that you're, you're, you're in your own negotiation with God, like sometimes I find myself in a negotiation with God. And these 12 pathways, which I'm going to be talking more about in just a few minutes, and the resource that we now have available for you to help you understand our language of discipleship here and our strategy and our plan for discipleship. But I think sometimes we look at that list of 12 things and we say, I'm willing to do these, but what business do we have with each other here? that maybe certain pathways that they're more difficult because of our personality, that certain pathways are more challenging for us because we view it as a greater sacrifice. It might be some, they're just new to us, and so we're not ready to take on new things. And we find ourselves entering into this conversation with Jesus where really what we're saying to him is, Jesus, I'm comfortable with you being the Son of God and having authority over my life over here, but what business do we have with each other about? this. Maybe it's certain matters of morality that, that you would say that, that I'm comfortable making these changes, but I really don't want to make these over here. I remember when I was 23 years old and I was wrestling with this, this, this need that I knew that I had in my life to make a vow of devotion to Christ. I literally sat down one day and made a list of all the things that I knew that God was going to ask me to change that were outside of the boundaries I knew of the life that God was asking of me. I literally began to cross out the things that, that I said, all right, I think I can make that change. I think I can make this change. And I ended up with a few things on that piece of paper. And really what I was saying to God was the same thing that, that these evil spirits were saying to Jesus. In a very subtle way, I was saying, what, what business do we have with each other here? For some of you, you have a list and you've, you've narrowed it down. And, and what you say to Christ is, you can do whatever you want out here, but I'm really not comfortable with you talking to me about these things here. And what Jesus says is, if I'm the son of God and the savior of the world, then you've got to trust me to have authority over every area of your life. And what I had to come to believe, what I hope that you're on the journey of coming to believe, is that anything that he asks me to stop doing, it's not because he's trying to rob me of pleasure, it's because he's trying to protect me of mediocrity and the ultimate destruction that will come from living a life that's outside of the boundaries of God's word. You might be here tonight and you might say, Fred, as I look back onto the story of my life, I, I can't find a moment where I've made a vow of devotion to Christ. For me, it was in December of 1990. I was in my little 1984 Honda Prelude driving down Laburnum Avenue in Richmond, passing Eastgate Mall, which I don't even think is there anymore. That's the moment. It happened for me where I made a vow of devotion to Christ and my life changed forever. If you can't find that moment in the story of your life, you're going to have an opportunity at the end of the service to find it here. Just slipping that in so you can be thinking about it. Come on. The need, the legion, somebody say the struggle. The struggle is real. Come on. Verse 9. Then Jesus demanded, oh, I love this. This is such a powerful story. What is your name? Right? He's having a conversation. What is your name? Jesus demanded. And he replied, my name is Legion because there are many of us inside of this man. Now, it's a curious question to ask, who was Jesus talking to? 
Because I've grown up my whole life believing that this is the moment where Jesus engages these evil spirits to exercise them out of this man, and then he's talking to them, and so that if he can name them, then he can exercise them, but I don't think that's true anymore. I think he was talking to the man. I think he was looking that man in the eye, and he was saying, what is your name? Because he knew that this man had to participate in his moment of being set free. That this man had to rediscover his sense of identity and the authority that he had over himself. Did he need some help from Christ? Absolutely. Do we need help from Christ at times to break free from things in our lives that are controlling us? Absolutely. It might not be that our despair sinks down to a place of actual possession, but all of us at times find ourselves under the control of our own humanity that we need to break free from. And until we realize that God has given us, under Christ, authority over ourselves to say, stop it, then we'll never walk in the freedom that he can bring to us. Because Jesus doesn't want to set this man free today. He wants him to live his life free Forever. And the only way he's going to do that is to stop identifying with his crisis. He must remember who he is. Luke chapter 11, verse 24. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I will return to the person that I came from. So it returns and finds that its former home is all swept and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter that person and they live there. And so that person is worse off than before. And we know a Roman legion is, can be in upwards of 6,000 soldiers. It causes me to ask the question, I wonder how many times this man found freedom only to find himself over and over and over and over and over and over again until the point his situation was completely helpless and beyond any earthly understanding of how to help him. And Jesus looks at him and he starts his journey to freedom by one simple question. What is your name? For some of you, you came in here tonight and you've been battling problems and issues and challenges for your whole life. And some of you tonight need to hear Jesus ask you that same question. Who are you? I'm Fred, a child of the living God. Some of you need to learn that statement and declare that thing over yourself every time temptation comes and knocks at your door. Our whole model of discipleship is built around the principle of displacement. That if you fill your life with the virtues of Christ, and we believe that there's 24 of those virtues, that as you fill your life with the virtues of Christ, there is not room for anything else to get in there. 
And when stuff sneaks in there, because that's the nature of our humanity, is to continue to make mistakes, if we're focused more on the person that I'm supposed to become and less on the person that I'm trying to avoid becoming, that we continually displace the humanity to make room for the character of Christ. And as you invest in your own spiritual life and into this journey of becoming like Christ, when your heart is fertile, where virtues grow, that that soil will not allow weeds to sprout up. We call our model praxis. If you've been with us for any amount of time, you know as a church we've been dreaming for years to get this thing into print, and it's finally here. We talked about it last night. There's a website that goes with it called letspraxis.com. We're not pushing product on you tonight, but we're just saying this is part of our celebration of 11 years is that we feel like God has given us a model of discipleship that helps people and empowers people. And for some of you, you need this, and some of you, you need more than once. You can give it to somebody else so that you can begin to talk with them about what it means to be a Christian and to be a follower of Christ. If you're visiting tonight and you've got questions, about faith, you see somebody in a blue shirt, they'll give you one of these as a gift for free. If you do not give yourself to the work of discipleship, which is the labor that I am responsible to do that is as a result of the grace that I have been given. It's this idea that there is a confession, there is a declaration that is made because of the grace of God and because of the power of the Holy Spirit, but at some point, that confession and that declaration has to start to look like commitment and devotion. We like to use the phrase at the City Life Church, we're going to make your soul sweat. There's work that you and I need to do. Reading the Bible, it takes effort. Spending time in prayer takes effort. Engaging in moments of worship, it takes effort. Living under a budget so that you can walk in generosity takes effort. These 12 pathways lay out for you the effort that you need to bring, and God will always be faithful to do his part. No person has ever in the history of the world been able to say to God, I would be more like Christ if you had done a better job. Who can say that? No, 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 no. Jesus comes to me and says, what's your name? You've got to do the work of choosing what you're going to identify with, take authority over your life, and commit yourself to the work of becoming like God's son. The need, the legion, the struggle. This last one, the Sichuan province. Last week we talked about how Greek culture valued two things above all else, power and knowledge. They begged Jesus to leave them because they had no frame of reference for the kind of power and knowledge that Jesus demonstrated. Remember we talked about that last week at the end of the text. The people came out from these ten towns and they, and they said to Jesus, get out of here which was such an opposite response. So many times when Jesus demonstrated some type of supernatural power like the Samaritan woman at the well as he began to prophesy over her life and tell her things that he would have no way of knowing, she goes back into the town, right? And then the whole town comes out and invites Jesus to stay. If, if anybody would have said, you need to get out of here, it would have been those people because this Samaritan woman was a prostitute. And so she goes back into the town and says, hey, there's this man that's here telling me everything that I've done. I'm telling you, a lot of men were breaking out into a sweat in that town. 
they came out at their own peril because they were going to have to make their own confessions. But they needed Jesus to stay because they saw him doing things that they didn't think were possible. Here's a man, right? Chains, shackles, shattered, break them. They brought control, no compassion, because his need was beyond their ability to bring a solution to his problem. And they came and they found him clothed and in his right mind. And their response to Jesus was, you need to get out of here. Because his power was so far beyond their understanding. And this was not a Jewish community. This was a Greek community who prized itself on power and knowledge above all else. Jesus frightened them, and they said, leave us. They begged Jesus to go. As City Life steps into 2017, as we move forward into our 12th year, there's going to be times where we're going to be afraid of what God is asking of us because it's going to require faith. It's going to require us, like these Greeks in these ten towns, to abandon our own understanding of what power is able to accomplish, to, to, to be willing to get out into a zone where our knowledge gives us no frame of reference. It's why the Bible says that it, we walk by faith. As we move into 2017, there's going to be times when Jesus speaks to you and when he speaks to me, and it's going to be like Peter. It's going to require us to get over the edge of the boat and look for water to stand upon. CNN article came out in May of 2016. This is just several months ago. It's the month that we moved into this building. Some kids will do anything to get out of school, yet others risk their lives to get there. In the mountains of southwest China's Sichuan province, children descend an 800-meter, that's a half-mile, cliff on unsteady vine ladders to reach school. The two-hour trip is so demanding they only return home twice a month. A village of no more than 400 people drew wide attention after the state-run Beijing News published a series of striking photos this week. It's referring to May of 2016. Of 15 school children, 15, as young as six years old, climbing the vine ladders or what locals called sky ladders. Photographer Chen Jie first heard about the village from friends, and when he learned the children would be coming home on May 14th, this is just this past year, he joined the climb, camera in hand to capture the journey up 17 sky ladders along the rocky cliff face. He says it was dangerous enough climbing up. I cannot imagine what it was like to climb down. Let's look at it together.
That was you and I, we'd be the most illiterate people on the planet. You know how to read? No. Let me show you this picture. It's striking, isn't it? Has anybody else seen that before? Anybody else see that when it came out? It's unbelievable. I think I read an article recently that the, the government, because there was so much pushback when this was, was released, that they've begun to build a stainless steel um, 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 ladder, not stainless steel, but, but metal ladders for them to, and staircases to be able to make this, make this journey because there was such a public outcry. My favorite part is that every time they were sitting down, you know that was they were waiting for the cameraman to catch up. He can't breathe, and the little girl was blowing bubbles with her chewing gum. Do you see that? Oh, so good, so good. I'm showing that to you because it better change what you call hard in 2017. It better change what you call hard in 2017. I saw that several months ago. It's changed what I call hard in my life. God reminds me of that picture. And I think to myself, you know what? What I'm supposed to do today isn't so hard after all. It's not so hard after all. Perspective is an amazing gift that God can give to us. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. So if you're here tonight, and as you look back into the story of your life, you can't find a moment in time where you've made a vow of devotion to Christ. I want you to picture yourself as the person that's on the bottom of a mountain that maybe is a little bit like that, but a whole lot taller. Because one of the things that I felt like God began to speak to me as I watched this months ago and then I was praying about using it for our anniversary service was that, that God spoke to me and said, for this was you for the first 23 years of your life, standing at the base of a mountain and time and time again, you tried in your own ability and your own strength to, to climb up to find some sense of being reconciled to God only to fall again and again and again because my... Friends, that's a mountain that you and I cannot climb. It's the mountain of forgiveness and shame of every past mistake that we've ever made. And the only way that we're ever going to get to the top of that mountain is for Jesus to come down and carry us up there. And that's what making a vow of devotion to Christ is all about. It's acknowledging our inadequacy to be restored to a relationship with God that we're desperate to have and we're willing to admit that we are utter and completely powerless to do anything about it. Jesus came from heaven to earth for you and to me to help us make that climb. And I think the way that we do it, it's like the father with the child with the rope. I, I don't think he carries us up there. I think he says, come on, we'll do it together. And so there's this moment where you get to the top, this sense of being restored, your relationship with God. The Bible talks about it being 
born again. But can I just tell you, there are many more mountains in our journey as devoted followers of Christ. The first one is to be restored in our relationship with him. But one of the reasons he wants us to be restored in our relationship with him is so that we can go on to climb the other mountains that are our assignments of ministry that he's given to us to help build his kingdom. And so I'm challenging you tonight, if you've not made a vow of devotion to Christ, this isn't just about your relationship with God being restored. It's about your future. It's about your destiny. It's about why God put you here. It's about the people that you're supposed to reach and the other people that are going to find their way on their journey because you had something to do to reach their life. So I'm going to invite you to bow your heads. Everybody bow your head. If you're here tonight and you would say, Fred, I cannot find a moment in time where I've made a vow of devotion to Christ. I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand where you are. Just between you and God. Just a moment of privacy. If you look back into the story of your life and you can't find a moment in time where you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, just slip the hand up. Just put it up. Yep. I see your hand, sir. Somebody else. Somebody else. So let me ask you this. Just keep your head bowed. Maybe you're here tonight, as many of you are, and you've made a vow of devotion to Christ. But you would say, I find myself being the one who judges others and always justifies myself. Or maybe you're the person that's here tonight and says, you know what, I've been struggling with so many things for way too long. I need to rediscover my sense of identity as a child of God. Maybe you're here tonight and you are that person that's, that's, that's saying, I know that I'm pushing back on God, especially on this idea of sharing my faith with others. You, you get my question, right? Whatever your fill in the blank is, if, if you just want to say tonight, I'm not going to ask you to do anything else except raise your hand. This is just kind of your moment between you and God. If you would say, God, I know there's some changes that I need to make in my life. I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand. This is just between you and God. Just between you and him. Father, I pray for every person that's here tonight who has their hand in the air. And I pray that 2017 is going to be an incredible year of change. They're going to be mountain climbers this year. They're going to cover ground, travel trails, rise to new heights that they never thought was possible. Like Pastor David said in his worship wrap-up, they're going to get to the end of 2017 and look back, and they're not even going to recognize who they used to be. Father, for every person here, we know that you have a purpose and a destiny. Breathe life into them. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said together, amen. Stand with me. Let's worship.